was so soft i'm emma it felt very snow white i'm Cass, not snow white despite what my voice may have made you think <laughs> and this is a honey do me podcast where we talk about sex we talk about confidence in the bedroom we talk about your butts your balls your pits your labia um anything else any other body part you can really think of we're getting yeah. to it eventually to or it. we've mm-hmm. mentioned it in passing and for that you're welcome <laughs> in passing so you can check that off the box Mm -hmm. um yeah we just talk about all the sex things and you are coming in at a hot hot time because Mm -hmm. it's a new month which means it's a new topic it's a new theme and this month we are pussing ourselves out there puss yourself out there bitch (laughs) puss yourself out there bitch i love that um you sound like a really good commercial for it thank you puss yourself out there um, I have a tidbit about a way that I almost pushed myself out there. Okay. Um, it was very silly, but I was at a birthday party a couple weeks ago and I was standing with my friend and I look across the bar and I see this guy who years ago when I worked at a bar, he would come in a lot and I don't know, I thought he was like cute enough. You would and I, I had had four drinks by this point so at that point it's prince charming oh this was your night that you went kind of you were with people younger than us you mean okay all right i don't really feel like that's important to bring up sure you had a wild night i had jello shots with pop rocks and you were very tired the next day anyways i'm just trying to place myself so i know where we are Okay. Um, so I see Prince Charming. Mm-hmm. God, this is like a love reunion at this point. Doesn't look at me once. <laughs> anyway, so I'm standing with my friend and I'm telling her this story about like, that's him. Mm-hmm. Literally, you have never heard of this man. That's how unimportant he's okay. ever been in my story. Okay. Um, and then my friend is so sweet and I'm sitting there and I'm kind of quiet. And I'm like, so I found his Instagram. Should I add him? <laughs> And then, like, DM him. And she has never had to reprimand me like you've had to. Okay. And her face went, no. <laughs> it was so shocked but so genuinely, like, concerned for the idea that I just had. And she was like, no. <laughs> for, for clarification, were you going to DM him, I'm watching you? Or something along those lines? I was probably going to say... I see you. (laughs) Then. So she saved me utterly from pussing myself out there in a weird and creepy way. Yeah, Um, just a little. Yeah, just a little. But I thought that this would be like a great, I was like convinced he was going to leave. So I'm like, I might as well just DM him, you know. Instead of walking up to him to say, hello, Mm -hmm. I see you. (laughs) Right here. Yeah. So I went a different route, but I ended up not DMing him because that was important. And her visceral, like, it was just a flinch. Her disgust. But it was it was so immediate and, like, shocked at my train of thought and mm-hmm. potential behavior that I was like, I can't. I can't do that. Yeah. Well, so um, anyway. proud of you for making the decision that you did. Proud of you for considering pussing yourself out there in such a bold way both bold and cowardly if i may say (laughs) if i may um bold and cowardly way yeah deeply bold horrifyingly cowardly (laughs) and just like a sprinkle and like peppering in a very creepy oh yes because i didn't know his name so i had to jump through really outing myself i had to jump through instagrams basically yeah yeah wow well, yeah. that's not what we're learning this month. We're going to no. learn how to put yourself out there, a.k.a. put yourself out there. You don't have to put your puss first, but that's what yeah. we like to do. Um, mm-hmm. Through a, a number of um, modalities. 
Modalities. I wasn't sure what the right word. We're talking about flirting. We're talking about initiation. We're talking about uh, foreplay. We're talking about literally how to put yourself out there, how to make the first move. We're talking about how to be a slut. Like those are mm-hmm. all very real episodes that you are getting. How to ask someone to come home with you. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what speed dating is actually like. Oh, oh. yes. I can't wait to get into it. Uh, so <laughs> we've got some really fun, fun shit to help you push yeah. yourself out there, to get that confidence, to be the slut that you deserve to be. Um, Correct. Yeah. So where are we starting today? We are starting with uh, foreplay and initiating for people who aren't typically the initiators, a.k.a. two brunettes that you could be looking at if you're on the AKA which yours truly. You calling yourself yours. a brunette still throws me off. I know you have been for like so long and I know you are a I'm, natural born brunette, but yeah, for me so deeply brown hair. You will always deeply be blonde. Like no matter <laughs> like you've dark brown hair now, but like yeah. you are Emma. Blonde Emma. <laughs> blonde Emma. <laughs> well, if it helps I'm considering going back. So Really? Yeah. Oh. I've got a lot of wisdom lights, a.k.a. gray hair. And as I keep enhancing my roots to be dark, my gray is just Mm. waving all day. Hello, world. Let me sparkle. Hello, world. Let me sparkle. (laughs) And that your hair in its own special way is pussing itself out there. And we love that. Um, So today on the podcast, we have Halen Belay. Uh, She is a sexual health expert, body worker, and pleasure witch based in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, who believes that all people deserve an integrated life and the healthy pursuit of pleasure. She has over a decade of experience in trauma-informed health education. Um, So pretty much everything you could ever want or look for. Mm -hmm. And she's just teaching us how to have uh indulgent entitled foreplay oh it's so good it's so good um and i have a reflection Mm -hmm. that we will go over in the outro of how i put some of her advice to work stunning so can't wait to see you there yeah see you on the other side bye bye we are wanting to talk with you a little bit or a lot a bit about foreplay, specifically from the perspective of someone who maybe doesn't initiate it or has a little bit of trouble putting themselves out there when it comes to foreplay. So can you start out by just kind of giving us a definition of what foreplay actually is? Because I feel like at least I have a very limited view of what it can be. Yeah, that's a, a great question that's unfortunately not as simple or beginner as it maybe seems like it should yeah. be because the the context or the context the concept of foreplay exists in relation to the idea of play, right? It's before play and oftentimes when people say play, they mean penetrative sex. So foreplay can be thought of as anything that you do before penetrative sex happens. Personally, as a sexuality professional, I find that an extraordinarily limiting perspective on what sexual intimacy is. Um, You know, penetrative sex is not the only kind of sex that there is. It's not the main event. And that kind of thinking, I think, actually makes it even more difficult for people to initiate what we think of as foreplay because it seems extra or unnecessary or like not related to the main feature, shall we say. In reality, when people are talking about foreplay, what they're really talking about from a physiological perspective is doing all the things that your body needs to get you from baseline, I'm walking around the world, not aroused, you know, my body is just being a body, to, oh, my body is really receptive to pleasure. My body is really open to experiencing pleasurable sensation. Um, And that's a process that can involve a lot of things. Foreplay can be um, sexual activity. It can be things like oral sex or um, manual sex, mutual masturbation can be forms of foreplay. It can also be things that are non-sexual entirely. Taking a really luxurious bath can be a form of foreplay if that's something that you need to get your body into that really receptive, like pleasurable state. So (laughs) I know it's kind of a a bit of a... um, twist to start off the conversation with foreplay by saying like it doesn't super exist as a concept what we're really talking about is just what do you do to get yourself receptive to pleasure Mm -hmm. i love that twist yes twist (laughs) Twist. because i also feel like that opens up the door to like i am someone and i know Cass is as well where we feel a lot like sometimes we can get a little like overstimulated in the world so 
I turn that off a lot throughout the day. So when I'm ready and I know that I want to have sex maybe that night or have like my own solo session, turning myself on but open to feeling like different sensations and pleasure and like having a nice afternoon to get me in the mood for later. I feel like that opens the door to what foreplay could be is like turning your senses back on to open the door for later, which feels pretty. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. When I talk to people about like, what is pleasure? How do we define pleasure? A lot of times the definition I come back to is it's being psychologically comfortable enough to be fully present in your senses. And that's a much bigger definition than just like feeling good, right? Um, Feeling fully present in your senses You can be feeling good, quote unquote, and not necessarily be fully present in your senses. There's lots of dissociative things that we do to, quote unquote, feel good that don't necessarily bring us into our bodies. Mm -hmm. But I think the best sexual experiences, the best experiences of pleasure come when you have uh, all the ample opportunity in the world to get into that state of being super receptive, super playful, super vulnerable. Um, That's, you know, that's the best part. I feel like a lot of what I've heard in terms of foreplay is really just sex like other types of sex Mm -hmm. like oral sex and so sometimes it's hard because it's like oh we'll we'll do that first but it's like like Emma was saying I'm somebody who's really sensitive and so if we're gonna start out with that like that's gonna be the first thing I'm not necessarily ready for pleasure and it's almost like flooding my body in a way that Mm -hmm. like will eventually open me up I guess but (laughs) it's not the most gentle and loving way to get myself towards being open to experiencing pleasure it's like here's the pleasure bitch (laughs) it's a lot a lot Yeah. I mean, I'm sure for someone, here's the pleasure bitch sounds really exciting, but you know, generally speaking, yeah. I mean, so to get a little nerdy on you guys, there's a model developed by Masters and Johnson decades ago that still I think is useful for understanding human sexuality today, which is the human sexual response cycle. Have y'all talked about that on the pod before? Am I introducing something? A little bit. I don't know how much we've talked about it on the pod. We talked about it in college, like Emma and I learned about it, but Mm -hmm. yeah, please. Yeah. So for those of us who didn't take a human sexuality class, um, the human sexual response cycle is essentially a model for understanding how the human body experience. Sorry, my cat's coming oh, to say hi. Love so it. Perfect. We love it. Oh my God. Anyway. So fluffy. <laughs> so cute. Very fluffy. Very fluffy and very assertive. Um, we love it. So the human sexual response cycle is a model for understanding what's happening in the, in the human body when we're experiencing sexual arousal, sexual stimulation. And essentially they attached a bunch of, you know, measurement tools to people's bodies and tracked like what is literally happening in their bodies and determined that there are some distinct phases of sexual arousal that can help us understand what's happening when people have sex and it feels good. And I think one of the most important insights from that little graph, uh, first of all, it looks a lot like the three-act story structure. Go back to like middle school English lit class, right? There's a, there's a rising action, there's a climax, there's a denouement. And the thing that I think is really important about understanding that from a physiological perspective is that it's not just a narrative arc that's happening. It's also physical changes in the body. So, you know, when you're washing your body in the shower, you could be touching the same parts of your body that are involved in sex and it doesn't feel sexual because the things that would need to happen in your body for it to feel sexual haven't happened. Things like an increase of blood flow to increase sensitivity um, for folks who have vaginas and vulvas, the cervix actually pulls up and back during that arousal process to create more space for ostensibly penetrative sex or some kind of um, penetrating object. And I think the really obvious uh, one for folks who maybe don't have, again, that human sexuality knowledge is erections, right? An erection is part of that rising action process usually, <laughs> um, that prepares a body for sex. And a, a penis that is erect has a very different sensory experience of the world than the penis that is not erect. Because external genitalia are really easy to see, it's a lot easier to identify, oh, well, an erection is something I can visibly see outside someone's body to know that something is happening physiologically in terms of arousal. But for people whose parts are on the inside for the most part, or where the changes are not going to be immediately visible from the outside, I think it's easy to forget that those changes are happening and to then ascribe whether or not you're feeling good to something psychological or internal or personal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I'm not enjoying the oral sex I'm receiving because there's something about me that's you know wrong or incompatible with it, as opposed to what's more often the case, which is my body is not getting the cues that it needs to slide into that territory of arousal where this is going to be pleasing to me. Mm-hmm. That was such a good point of like 
I'm thinking about if I'm not wet, let's say, when I'm in the middle of foreplay and it's like, ugh, my body's just not there. Like I'm not aroused. It's like, it's, it's interpreting your cues differently with like the physical things that you can see an erection, being wet, and then like associating that, like, am I turned on? I don't know. I'm kind of confused. Like I need to drop in a little bit more. And that's kind of when we were saying earlier, like the cues you need before when I'm like, but I just didn't get like the nice, like talking before sex, or I didn't get like the compliments or the dinner before. And there is so many more steps before physical that make me feel sensual. I don't know. Yeah. Even, even physical steps before sexual, right. Mm -hmm. Of sometimes cuddling or even just being close to somebody non-sexually touching for some period of time is what somebody needs to drop into that space of feeling comfortable than interacting with that person's body sexually. Right. I think especially as women, there's a tendency to like pathologize that and be like, Oh, there's something weird about me that I just have this enormous need for psychological safety to enjoy sex. That's not weird. God That's forbid. actually what all people need. <laughs> yeah. That's what all people need to enjoy sex. I think the difference really is, is not that um, there's some like categorical intrinsic difference between men and women mm -hmm. that causes men to just not need that. It's that we live in a world built on patriarchy. So the barrier to feeling psychologically safe when having sex for a man who was raised in patriarchy is going to be pretty low, as opposed to people who have been socialized into believing that sex is really high stakes, that they shouldn't want it, or they should only want it in a certain way, right? Setting aside even the case of sexual trauma, we've now got a whole laundry list of things that need to be attended to before I can even get to baseline of, okay, I'm, I'm interested in maybe exploring this. I would love to get into both how we can figure out what those arousal points are and also then how we can put ourselves out there and ask for those or like advocate for those needs in situations where we start to feel like, oh, I'm just asking for too much or this is way too many accommodations to expect any person to give me. Um, yeah. So can we start out with how we kind of dig in and figure out those arousal points? Yeah. So I think as, as, a, as a practitioner, um, as a professional, but also as a person, I have found that there's so much value in basically just starting starting with where you're at, right? Um, if it's your first time in the gym, you're not going to go in there and do Arnold Schwarzenegger's workout <laughs> routine. It's just not realistic. So if you know that you're someone who has a hard time dropping into that space of being really receptive to pleasure, you're probably not going to do it for the first time with a new partner or even just with a partner at all, right? It's going to be easier to do on your own in an environment that you feel like you have a lot of control over where you can start with the baby steps. Maybe what you need is to rehabilitate your relationship to non-sexual pleasure and start there because that feels less tense, less threatening, and more like a space where you can play around in to then build up the muscle, so to speak, to then start exploring more sexually, um, especially because I work with a lot of survivors of trauma. You know, if you have a trauma history in particular, you don't want to go to the absolute most challenging version of the thing that you're trying to explore because much like going to the gym, if you overexert yourself, you run a risk of not just injuring yourself like literally or metaphorically, but also reinforcing the internal belief that you have that you can't do the thing, right? If I am anxious about my ability to experience pleasure and then I try to put myself in a situation that's way beyond my comfort zone, um, not only am I not going to experience pleasure, I'm going to experience a sort of reinforcement of the thing I already believed about my incompatibility with pleasure. That's very interesting because I am somebody who would go to the gym for the first time and do Arnold Schwarzenegger's workout. Um, because if I'm going to do something, I'm like, well, I might as well just do exactly what I eventually want to do. Like, why start anywhere else? And then it does mm -hmm. reinforce the belief that I can't do it or that something is wrong with me. So that's very interesting and an interesting way to think about sex as well. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think that I often have thought about like when I want to try things, like you're saying, Cass, I try them. It's like, yeah. oh, I haven't done anal before. Let's get anal toys. Yeah, <laughs> let's put it in. <laughs> just fucking go. Um, so yeah, even with something like foreplay, where you can consider it like, oh, of course this is a baby step because it's foreplay. Foreplay is pre-sex, so all of it's a baby step. Like, but there's baby steps to even the simplest of play and pleasure that we haven't even started with yet, 
And that's why I'm scared. <laughs> yes. Our friend Victoria. Well, I think especially. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say our friend Victoria Albina calls them kitten steps. Oh, when yeah. smaller than baby steps. <laughs> and we like that. That's so cute. <laughs> little kitten steps. <laughs> yes. Little tiny kitten steps. Adorable. Yeah, I think especially when the thing that you're trying to do is not even necessarily a physical thing, but a communication thing, yes. right? It's one thing to be like, oh, I want to try this new sex thing. I'm going to go buy some sex toys. It's another thing to say, well, the thing that I want to do in bed is ask my partner for what I want. What's the baby step version of that, right? What's the what's the tool that I'm going to go grab to make it to facilitate that or make it more possible? Um, and what I usually recommend to people is start by creating spaces where you can practice communicating with your partner that aren't we're in the middle of having sex it's a very high stakes situation i feel very vulnerable right that's the that's the like dwayne the rock johnson workout <laughs> right and we're looking for like way 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 beginner level resistance band physical therapy version which might be practicing talking about sex when you are not having sex or practicing um asking for what you want in a non-sexual context like um, a lot of times I'll use examples from dance or from um, cooking and eating food. These are other areas of life where we do still have to do negotiation, but for a lot of reasons, it's a lot more intuitive in those areas to feel entitled to what you want, mm -hmm. right? I'm not going to eat something that I'm allergic to or that is too salty or, well, maybe some people will, but I am not going to eat something that's too salty. <laughs> I'm going to feel entitled to communicate. I like this. I don't like this when it comes to food, maybe in a way that doesn't come as naturally in the bedroom. And so being able to identify those places for yourself, where's the space where I do feel entitled to ask for what I want? Where are the spaces where I do feel like it's easy for me to tap in and feel, well, this is what would feel good right now, right? This is the music I want to listen to. This is the taste I want to explore. And then build that muscle there in the place where it's maybe more accessible. Um, there's a lot of transferable skills mm -hmm. when it comes to uh, sex sexuality, right? I think we're oftentimes trained to think of sex as like, this totally separate thing that's, you know, in a different realm from day-to-day -day life, but it's not. You're the same person that you are in bed than you are everywhere else. And so the same kinds of, you know, skills and also the same challenges that you face out in the outside world can give you a lot of clues into what kind of skills and challenges you might be facing in the bedroom. Mother's Day is around the corner, and whether you're celebrating your mama, grandma, guardian, or yourself, celebrate with the mother of all self-care routines by trying out Osea's Mega Moisture Duo. This duo delivers a one-two punch in luxurious body care moisturizers with their Anduria Algae Body Oil and Anduria Collagen Body Lotion, both featuring Osea's signature all-natural citrusy scent. I use both the body lotion and the Anduria Algae Body Oil once I get out of the shower and I use it literally everywhere. This duo is my go-to for feeling glowy and hydrated for literal days and the Osea Signature Scent is one of my faves because it's not overwhelming, um, but it's like a delicious and fresh smell that just lasts. Since 1996, Osea has been making seaweed-infused skincare that is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat mom to the everyday spa experience she deserves with clean, vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code DOOMY at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OSEA. Malibu.com and use code D-E-W-M-E for 10% off. Yes, that feels very spot on. Um, what are some communication kitten steps for the casual dater? And I feel like with a partner, I, and love is a strong word considering I don't have a partner, but I would love to practice doing kitten steps and I feel like I'd feel safer with that and being able to practice more frequently. But if you're meeting new people constantly and you still want to practice communication, but initially you're always a little uncomfortable because it's a stranger, how to practice small steps when you are still feeling kind of unsafe is the word I'm going to use. Especially when we're talking about someone who is exploring their sexuality in casual dating settings, mm -hmm. right? Where they're not necessarily building a long-term relationship with somebody. That's not necessarily what they're looking for. I think that is exactly the time where you can practice being entitled in a way that, you know, again, I think sometimes we have a tendency to say, well, I can only be entitled like that with my partner because they've signed on to, you know, 
cater to my needs and they've agreed that they care about me. And so that's where I can be entitled. No, 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 my friend, you can and should be entitled in your casual dating encounters, arguably even more so than you are in partnerships where there is maybe give and take and trust and you know, long-term communication. So if you're finding yourself in casual dating experiences where the first time you're being intimate with somebody, you're like, I don't feel like I can tell them how I feel or what I want. That's not necessarily a sign that there's something wrong with you or with that other person. It is a sign that maybe you need to reconsider and reconfigure. How do I know when I'm ready to have sex with someone, right? What's the thing that is going on internally for me that lets me know, okay, now I want to like take clothes off and get intimate. Because um, again, if you're not going to be able to do that kind of communication, that high sex communication for the first time in the most challenging of settings. Mm -hmm. So what are the things that you need in order to feel safe having that kind of communication? I'm a strong, strong believer that if you are casually dating and being very upfront about like, hey, I'm in the market for hookups or maybe like a fuck buddy situation, you know, something that's low emotional stakes but is sexually intimate then you should be able to talk to that person fully with clothes on about everything that you want to do and don't want to do, right? Again, it's even more important that you're able to, to do that with someone that you are casually involved with than with a long-term partner. Mm -hmm. um, and if hearing that is like, well, how could I even do that? That's so unsexy or that's so stressful. Okay, great. Go even further back to at home in your journal, right? Writing down and practicing, almost scripting, what are the things that I want to say? What are the things that are important for me to communicate? I'll say this a lot in social emotional skills classes that um, in the same way that you go to the gym and you practice things with like perfect form, right? So that you can then go live your day-to-day -day life and like pick up all the groceries and, <laughs> and have that be easier. Um, journal exercises or like things that you do on your own that are filling in templates or practicing like, all right, word by word, what do I want this to sound like? It's not necessarily about then reproducing that word for word with another person because it can sound kind of robotic. It's about practicing it enough that it becomes a stronger muscle. And then when you are in the environment with that person, it comes a little bit more naturally, right? Because it's not the very first time that you've thought about what words in what order to communicate what ideas. That could not have come at a more perfect time for my life. And I <laughs> love that approach to figuring out what you want and how it comes before being in the room with someone else. Like I've never, I've thought I've known what I've wanted while I'm dating and then I get myself into situations and I'm like, I'm casually dating, who cares? And then I have my feelings hurt the next day. But it's because I don't think I've ever written down what it is I'm looking for and how I want that to be communicated. And I also think within dating, like you were saying, it's not sexy to say exactly what you want. It is hard to be like, I'm looking for sex. I'm looking for low emotional stakes. I'm looking to have a friend, but someone that I could have sex with. And emotionally, we're not super attached to each other. I don't think you give that truth a lot. And I don't think you receive that truth a lot when you're casually dating. Um, but I think that's a perfect thing to practice. I love the way you put that and I love how you framed it. I wanna be that bitch in dating. I think that was so cool. <laughs> I think we've talked about before on the podcast kind of this idea of the cool girl and wanting to be mm. the cool girl. And I think it applies a lot in casual dating of just, oh, well, I don't wanna have too many needs because then I'm that girl. Right. Um, can you give us some examples of how you might, like literal word for word, how you might say, oh, this is one of the needs that I have before we engage in any sex that doesn't sound too clinical? Because I feel like that's where I would start to go. <laughs> I need yeah. cunnilingus well, yeah. to the left on a Tuesday. Before. I mean, so this is the thing, right, about, again, I think it's it seems so alien and unfamiliar because we're thinking of it from, you know, how do I communicate these really technical mm -hmm. things? What we're talking about is dirty talk. Like, the idea of communicating what do I want to happen sexually is saying, like, ooh, are you into this? Do you like this? Would you want me to do this? How about if you did this to me? Does that sound fun? Right? So in terms of making it sound less clinical, it's really not necessarily about changing what you're saying. It's about changing the perspective that you're saying it from. This is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about pleasure-based sex education as an educator. Um, when we teach people about sex purely from the perspective of keeping bad things from happening, that's how you get into the position where trying to communicate my needs feels like, oh, this is, I'm bringing on neggy vibes to the conversation, mm -hmm. right? Because you're coming from that negative framework of how do I keep something bad from happening? Mm -hmm. 
But the point of sex, I think, is to have fun. <laughs> I think. That's just me. My hot take. I think it's to have fun. And if the point is to have fun, then it should be a fun thing to communicate, hey, like, you know that fun thing that we're going to do later? What if it was like that? Or what if we did that and that was part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think also, again, I don't want to minimize the reality that there are a lot of heterosexual men in the world who will be very dismissive, who have internalized a lot of really shitty ideas about sex. I'm not saying that they don't exist. What I am saying is that they are not, hashtag they are not all men. (laughs) And the belief that all men are that way is, I think, a a belief that serves only men who are that way, Mm. right? If we just think that that's how men are, then we let them get away with it. We don't ask for more. We expect it as normal. uh, And then they just get to keep being like that. But I promise you, right, if you are engaging with somebody and you're like, oh, I would really love it if you, you know, went down on me, whatever. And they're like, ew, I don't do that. Guess what? There's somebody out there who not only will be like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. will be like, oh, thank God you said it because I was going to say it if you didn't say it. Like, that's where I want to be. Right. So, again, it comes back to that idea of knowing what your needs, your wants, your boundaries are and also feeling entitled to them and feeling like if I don't get those needs and wants and boundaries met, I don't need this particular connection, this particular person. I can go and find that somewhere else because I, I promise you, whatever it is that you're into, statistically speaking, there's at least one other person who's into it. I think that's such an important frame of mind to be into. That's what's helped me a lot get out of my funks of, um, I don't know, not wanting to say things or being kind of confused on how I feel. It's like, what? who is this really serving? So thinking about like, if I don't say it, it's only serving the people who are the worst <laughs> and <laughs> it's not giving a chance to the people who I think could actually be the best or the or great. And I'm not giving a chance to myself either by communicating what I need. I, so I think that's a helpful thing to keep in mind when you're struggling with like, do I say something? Do I not? Like, what if they take it wrong? It's like, but give them a chance to say something right or give you a chance to receive what you need in that moment. So I think that's very helpful. Yeah. I mean, it's, it happens all the time where I'll say something like, oh, I've never had a partner who, you know, didn't want to go down on me where they're like, no, I never do that. And people are like, what? How have you never experienced that? Well, because if I hook up with somebody for the first time and they're like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm categorically into it. I'm like, okay, well, then we don't ever have to do this Mm -hmm. again. Like that's, you know, it was lovely to meet you. Goodbye. (laughs) I set you free. It's, you know, the, and again, it's not to say that if you've had that experience, it was your fault for allowing it to happen, but just to reinforce the idea that again, it doesn't have to be that way. There is another world that is possible only if you are willing to open your hands to receive it. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that all of those same things apply when asking for anything non-sexual before the set? Like if you want non-sexual touching, like if you really like cuddling is so important before you start kissing and then it's really important that, you know, you get manual stimulation first, but like are I don't know. Is it fair to ask for all of those steps? And how do we ask for cuddling in a way that doesn't feel like... I don't know, lame. Can you cuddle me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, I think this is uh, so much of it comes down to how comfortable are you with the person that you are engaging with? Because, again, I think when we talk about casual dating, sometimes there's this idea, this perspective that casual means I'm not supposed to want anything. So anything I'm asking is actually mm-hmm. too much. When in reality, some of the most rewarding experiences I've had with people who I was just meeting or just getting intimate with for the first time were these really strong green, green, these really strong green flag interactions where, for example, I say something like, hey, you're really sexy. I would love to get intimate. I don't feel super sexy right now. Can we just like snuggle up and be really close and then, you know, see if see if anything bubbles up, which inevitably in my case it usually does because that kind of comfort and safety of someone saying oh yeah you can be naked near me and i'm not going to you know pressure you into doing anything that's actually extremely hot right that's actually super super sexy and you're not going to get that experience if you don't ever feel like it's something that you can ask for mm-hmm. i love how you phrased that that was perfect snuggle up when you are with someone um either in a long-term relationship or casually dating. And I mean, I feel like casually dating, I would just walk away at this point, but they don't value <laughs> foreplay and they don't see the need for it. Or I've been in a relationship where they just don't need as much of it or they don't need it for any amount of time and they don't 
get it? Like, what is, how do you navigate that? Yeah. So I think, I mean, to your point, right? In a casual relationship, I think more often than not, I personally would probably just be like, again, go be free. (laughs) You know, lovely to meet you. (laughs) Goodbye. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think if you are in a situation where you do want to preserve that relationship for whatever reason, I think the only thing you really can do is provide education, right? Um, Hopefully just saying this is important to me would be enough for the person that you're engaging with to take it seriously. But if they really are struggling to understand why it is so important, and this is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about providing sex education, not just to young people, but also to the adults who didn't get it when they were young people. Mm -hmm. Because if you have even a basic 101 understanding of sexual anatomy and how human bodies feel good during sex, if you want your partner to feel good during sex, there is no part of you that should be self-conscious about the idea of doing things that aren't penetrative sex to make the sexual experience more pleasurable and more positive, right? Mm -hmm. Doing things like cuddling or full body massage. Full body massage is one of the best forms of foreplay, like gender irregardless, because of the ways that it helps us be fully present in our bodies, tuned into what our partner needs and wants and how they're expressing. Mm -hmm. And again, if someone is like, well, that's just too much trouble for me, that might just be a sign that you're not compatible, Mm -hmm. right? If they have all the information and you've communicated to them and they're like, it's just not what I want. Great. Again, statistically speaking, there's at least one person in the world who wants the same kind of like quickie sex that this person is looking for. Mm -hmm. It might just not be you and that can be okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When it comes to initiating foreplay, are there some fun, low stakes ways that we can initiate? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean... (laughs) Low stakes is going to be different for every person, right? Mm -hmm. Um, For some people, having like a nonverbal signal or cue, um, touching some part of their own body or kind of like indicating like, hey, do you want to put your hand here or do you want to move things further south uh, can be (laughs) enough of a a wink, wink, nudge, nudge for what they're looking for. Um, I've had some clients express having great success by using um, like clips or gifts from porn scenes that they really like as a way of non-verbally communicating like, hey, so when I see you later, like, here you go. Like, here's an idea of what, what I might want to do <laughs> when we get together this evening, right? And that can be a way of being super explicit and direct about what you're looking for without having to use your words. And I know that using your words, if it's a challenge for you, you're, you know, even if you do get some words out, they might not be as specific as you are looking for. So um, if sending... Uh, if, if consuming porn or looking at porn is something that you feel comfortable doing on your own with a partner, that can be a way of sort of nudging things that direction. Um, it doesn't even necessarily have to be like porn or sexually, sexually explicit material. You guys are watching a movie or have watched a movie before, right, where there was a scene that you found particularly hot. Um, using just some kind of external media reference to say like, hey, you know how when that happened – how that was cool on screen. What if that happened in real life here with us? Um, could be a way of bringing that in. Mm-hmm. If you're, I love that. It's like a little porn clip. It's like, you know what? I don't want to say what I want. I want to show you. <laughs> Let me illustrate. Ya. Illustrate real quick. Oh, that would be fun. I've also heard of, although I don't think I could do this because voice memos freak me out a little bit. I don't, as someone with a podcast, I don't want to hear my, my voice and I don't want to hear your voice if I can't see your face, mm-hmm. unless it's a walkie talkie because walkie talkies are cool. But voice memos just aren't. So hot. So hot. <laughs> so hot. <laughs> well, because then it's Over. like spies. <laughs> then it's like sexy spy game. But yeah. if it's just a voice memo. See, we're building hard. a scene. <laughs> I don't know. But that is also another option. If you are confident in your voice abilities, um, you could do a little voice memos too. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's also, I think there's a lot of power to like being upfront about the thing that you are anxious about, being like, I feel so shy about dirty talk, but like, can I tell you what I want to do tonight? And even just being upfront about like, I'm not super confident about this can also be kind of sexy because you're showing that person, hey, I trust you enough to be like, vulnerable in a way that I might not typically be. That's hot. Mm -hmm. Intimacy is about vulnerability and being close to people. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love not just pretending to be confident and fully sure of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? It's going to show if you're not, you know, if you're going to try and stomp into the room and be like, I know exactly what's going on, but you're sweating buckets. It's going to (laughs) show. That's 
so true. It's just really hot out. <laughs> I do this again, and then as I'm walking yeah. into the room, fanning my armpits. What What are we most scared of for people who have trouble initiating? What's like the scariest thing, and what gets in our way the most that we can start looking at? I think the you know there's a fear of rejection, obviously, that goes into it, and not just rejection in the kind of like, oh, I feel. Uh, bad about myself way. That's certainly part of it. But on a much deeper level, like social rejection is very painful for us psychologically and sometimes even physically. Um, when you sort of peel back the layers of almost any anxiety, it comes down to a fear of dying or being alone or both dying alone. You know, it's like the the deepest fears that we have as human beings are literally losing our lives or being completely isolated because as social creatures, those things are kind of the same. Like we can't really exist functionally without other people. So I would say first and foremost, give yourself some grace if it's something that you struggle with to say, yeah, if you're afraid of being rejected, especially at a really intimate, tender moment, again, that's not pathological. That's super normal. It'd be weird if you weren't afraid of rejection. Um, again, I think especially depending on how you're socialized, right? What the beliefs that you were um, indoctrinated into around pleasure and intimacy actually look like and what you feel like you are, again, entitled to ask for. Um, it's not just a fear of being rejected like this one person is maybe not going to like what I say, but also maybe this one person is the microphone mouthpiece for all of mankind, right? Mm -hmm. Saying that, hey, the thing that you want in your most vulnerable of moments is too much. And if you want to be part of society, you're going to have to learn how to not want that thing anymore. Uh, it's one of the reasons why, you know, our formative sexual experiences, our first partners can leave wounds that last for a long time, even if those relationships aren't necessarily traumatic or abusive or exploitative. You know, you have one partner early on in life who says, oh, you kiss weird. Well, guess what? I've got a complex about how I kiss for the rest of my life, right? No <laughs> idea complex what you're about... talking about. No idea <laughs> holding on to that. But and continue. so I think... You know, I was very lucky. I started teaching sex ed uh, before I ever started having sex. I started teaching sex ed when I was 15. So oh. by the time I was actually like having sex with people, I was the one who was bringing condoms. I was the one who knew how to put them on. I was like, you know, the one who was able to communicate about these things because I'd had a bunch of practice. Again, what am I knocking over? Um, <laughs> I had a bunch of practice because I had had the opportunity to do the template and the like with form practice exercise so that when I got out into the world, those things weren't totally novel for me. If you're an adult who did not have sex ed at all, or you had bad sex ed, or you've had bad sexual experiences that have now put you kind of at a deficit of feeling like you can communicate those things, I think it is, you know, give yourself the grace of meeting yourself at the place that you are at and not the place that you think you should be by your age or the number of partners you've had or how long you've been sexually active, right? None of those things actually necessarily mean that you have been given the opportunity to develop those sexual communication skills or even self-awareness skills around sex and sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why, again, I'm a huge proponent of if you're having challenges in your intimate life with other people, Go back to basics, right? Go back to the ways that you think about sex on your own. When there's nobody else there to shame you or make you feel any type of way, what's the shame that you're bringing into the room, right? And really getting to the bottom of that will make it easier for you to engage with other people and not take on the shame that they're trying to push on you, right? If you figured out what your shame thing is, then you can say like, oh, that's not for me. Get that out of here, right? <laughs> I don't want that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can feel more confident in, again, feeling entitled to the things that I do want. I know the shame I have, and that's not it. So leave. That's not it. Get that out of here. Scram. <laughs> you brought extra, and I didn't ask. <laughs> yeah, dying alone and rejection. Those are huge. <laughs> How's the foreplay episode going? Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd agree. Um, rejection is so hard. Even in a relationship, you know, you experience being told no and when you're trying and you're going out of your way or out of your comfort zone to initiate and you're not typically an initiator being told like, oh, I'm not really in the mood right now is can be hard and can be like staggering. Um, anyway, so yeah, it can be really hard, but it, there's totally like big reframes around rejection and all of that, that you can start working on too. I feel like, or at least I've had to, but, um, <laughs> Anyway, no, I think it is. It's really important. I mean, a huge, again, we talk about a lot about sexual communication and consent from this perspective of like, well, you've got to, you know, verbally, enthusiastically get the yes. 
but we don't actually talk very often about what you're supposed to do when you get the no, right? And how you're supposed to deal with the feelings that come along with, I just got the no, and now I'm having whatever complicated things bubble up for me of, am I gross? Was that weird? Did I make this person uncomfortable? Is there something wrong with me, right? Which are all reasonable things to have anxiety about, right? Not reasonable because they're true, but reasonable because it makes sense mm-hmm. that you'd be anxious about those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and frankly, I, I, one of the huge things that I see as a, as a sexuality professional um, is that a lot of unhealthy sexual patterns really come from not knowing how to deal with that re- rejection, right? Not knowing what to do with those feelings and then coming up with ways to relieve them that are not so good for us or for our partners. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. In a slightly um, happier, more smiley direction. Um, and Take us in, there. <laughs> yeah, in the same vein of expanding what foreplay really means, we've had people tell us to engage in foreplay all day. I don't really know how to do that. And it also makes me wonder, should we just be engaging in foreplay all the time so that we're always ready to receive pleasure? Sounds like, exhausting. is that a good option or is that exhausting? Yeah. Is that depleting? Yeah, depleting. I think it's, I mean, beyond even just exhausting and depleting, it's also not particularly safe, I think. Like being in that state where you're super receptive to pleasure is a very vulnerable state to be in. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the way that you want to be, again, when you're walking around in the world, living your life. Um both for like serious reasons and also for kind of silly reasons of like, well, you don't want to be so turned on throughout your whole day that, you know, the cashier hands you your change back and you're like, oh, thank you. Like that's, you know, there's, there's boundaries, right? There's limits on how much we're bringing that into our day-to-day lives. Um, that being said, you know, my background is not only as a sexuality professional, but also as a pleasure witch, my personal and, and professional practice of um, spirituality that's centered around pleasure. And from that perspective, you know, I frequently am talking to people who are coming to me being like, okay, I'm ready to be a pleasure witch. How do I have my life be one nonstop orgasm from, you know, waking to sleeping for the rest of my life? Uh, And there are certainly some practitioners who are that way. That is not the style that I practice in. For me, it's less about pleasure being the only good thing and the thing that we need to have 24-7 and more about recognizing pleasure as a sacred and important, key, crucial way of how we intuitively understand and navigate the world, right? To get on my soapbox for a little bit. Like this human animal body that we're in has developed to have impulses and feelings and motivations that are supposed to help us stay alive, help help us navigate away from what's dangerous and towards what's good for us. And with that in mind, if my physical experience of pleasure, my physiological experience of pleasure is what my body does to let me know, hey, you're in a safe environment and you can take all of this in. Well, I want to know that so that I can know pleasure is the thing I want to navigate with, right? That's the thing that I want my compass to be primed to is what's safe and comfortable and and good for me. That doesn't always mean I am in a state of ecstatic pleasure at all times. If anything, it means um, more often than not, the first step to getting to that place is actually rehabilitating my relationship to discomfort so that I can stay present in my discomfort long enough to let my compass guide me out of it, right? Because if I'm dissociated from my discomfort immediately, then I'm not going to be able to figure out what path would get me towards pleasure. Sitting in discomfort are not things Cass and I are good at, so this is a new <laughs> concept we for don't us. like it. <laughs> we don't, but we, must. we but must. We must. It's unfortunately a necessary part to, again, it's like people coming to me being like, all right, I'm ready to never be uncomfortable again. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry that the first thing that we're going to do is really sit in how uncomfortable you are because there's information there, right? There's information in your discomfort that will help you figure out what you really want. Mm-hmm. And I've also noticed that by avoiding my discomfort, I am really uncomfortable. <laughs> Um, which what is a, a really fun <laughs> just spiral. Not it's only just really cute for me. Is it in my tummy? Well, the it metaphor I use all head. the time is like, uh, it's like holding a beach ball underwater, right? Where you're like, oh, I'm scared this beach ball is going to hit me in the face. So I'm going to push it underwater as far as I can. And the further you push it, the harder it bounces back up and smacks you in the face, right? Excellent. So yeah. it's paradoxically actually letting that discomfort just float on the surface is the least dangerous place it can be. That's like a really, really good metaphor. Thank you. I've been working on it for a while. Uh, keep that one in the rotation. That's yes, a really good one. <laughs> pocket. Ooh. Ooh. Um, just as another so all-day foreplay situation, if we did 
want to start foreplay? Like, let's say we are someone that really does need a day to feel safe and feel good and feel happy and wanted later that night. <clears throat> but you're always the one, like, you just haven't been the one initiating. So how can you initiate the day with the partner to be like, I want to, us to start our day today, right now with this foreplay and like get really amped up for tonight. So what are some things you can do throughout different phases of the day to kind of ramp yourself up for the evening? Again, it's going to depend so much on the person, on their partnership, on what kinds of things they're trying to um, engage in in their bedroom activities. But I would say, again, to really think about this from the perspective of the human animal, right? Think of your animal body all the sensory information that you take in that determines how safe you feel, right, is coming from, I, I would, I'll say your five senses, because that's like what's familiar to people. You have many more than five senses, but, you know, it comes through your senses. So thinking about, okay, um, touch obviously is a huge one, right? Are we going to start our day with some naked cuddling and maybe sweet nothing talking about what we want to do later? Are we going to start our day showering together or maybe seeing each other after the shower and spending non-sexual naked time around each other? Um, also things that are, again, like what are the things that bring you back to center sexually or non-sexually when it comes to what you see around you? Are you a person who experiences deep relief and relaxation when you are in a park or in a green space or looking at flowers? Do you have a garden outside that you can spend some time in and let yourself like people make fun of me when I go on walks. I like to like shake hands with all the plants around me and be like, oh, hello, leaf. Oh, hello, plants. And like, you know, make contact with with my environment. Mm -hmm. And that is also part of my spiritual practice as a pleasure, which it feels really good to feel connected to my physical environment, to get that visual stimulation, that tactile stimulation, and also almost like a social stimulation with the environment around me. Um, and even though that's not something that is narrowly sexual, it is something that brings me more into my body, more free, more comfortable in ways that would certainly facilitate sexual pleasure. Um, I'm also a huge proponent of the bath ritual or bathing rituals in general. The four hour long getting ready scene is something I'm very familiar with, right? Where it's not just about I'm washing my body in a functional way. It's about like, I love to challenge myself of how indulgent of a bath I can take. Right? What are all the things I can add? What snacks can I get? What delicious cold beverage can I add to the scenario? What incense? What candle lighting? What you know, music I want to have playing? Um, and again, really challenging yourself to be as indulgent as possible. We're getting some keywords, right? Entitled, indulgent, um, to feel again as as deeply settled in that as possible. And then when you're talking about foreplay with a partner. What are the things in your relationship that bring you closer together? For some people, foreplay could be <laughs> playing board games together, right? And doing something where we're having, we oh, we have this game we love to play where by the end of it, we're always like rolling around in laughter and feeling really playful and close to each other. It might not be a state that we think of as being sexual, but guess what? Feeling playful and vulnerable are really great starting points for a really amazing sexual encounter. So being creative in how you think of, again, foreplay as being not even just about getting ready for sex, but about getting ready for intimacy, getting closer to yourself in your own body, and then finding ways to be closer to your partner in their body, whether or not that is erotic or sexual touch. Mm -hmm. I love reminding ourselves too that like laughing and having so much fun can be an amazing way to start an evening or to just feel closer, like... It's so true. If I'm going to make you laugh, one, ego boost for me, that makes me feel hot. And two, it's like so attractive to see someone belly laugh, like enjoying your space and being with you. And that can open up like just feeling more comfortable, feeling more relaxed. That makes me happy. Yeah. And it's, it's antidote to that fear of rejection, right? Mm -hmm. If I get these signs that we're, we're connecting, we're close, you value and appreciate me, you like being around me, that also maybe turns down the volume on the part of me that's afraid. If I ask you for something, you're going to be mad at me for asking, right? Yeah. If I really think you like me, that might be easier for me to believe that you really want to hear what I want. Oh, yeah, so true. Absolutely. I love the indulgent bath. I love asking yourself, like, how indulgent can I possibly make this mm -hmm. it just makes it so fun I don't know yeah. it's just such a good way to love yourself mm -hmm. yes Ugh. and it's in the best of scenarios with a partner that's something you can do together too right mm -hmm. how do we challenge ourselves to be as indulgent as possible with ourselves with each other's bodies with each other's minds and spirits um, those are again the best sexual experiences in my personal 
opinion, Mm -hmm. are the ones where we are really connected to that intuitive sense of, well, here's what I'm feeling right now. Here's what would feel good. And I feel fully comfortable in expressing that. Whether or not all those things happen, I feel comfortable in expressing that and having that be received. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Beautiful. (sighs) Is there anything else within foreplay that you feel like we should touch on or that we didn't go over that would be nice to add? (laughs) Yeah. I think, again, going back to what I said at the very beginning of like, this mythology that foreplay is everything that comes before the main event. I think also reinforcing the idea that your sexual encounter can be quote unquote, just foreplay. And that can still be a deeply satisfying sexual encounter, especially if you're a person who has a lot of hangups or challenges around thinking of foreplay as quote unquote, legitimate, that might be actually a very fun exercise to do by yourself with a partner to say, I'm going to limit myself to things that I think of as foreplay, right? My whole menu for today is just quote unquote foreplay activities. How, again, challenge yourself, how much pleasure can I get out of those experiences? How much satisfaction can I get out of those experiences? Um, I mean, there's like a, there's like a, a, a Regina Spector lyric of all things that comes to mind um, from this song where she talks about like, oh, do you remember that time where we decided to kiss everywhere except mouth, right? These little like challenges and games of, well, what if we, I mean, this is the the soul of creativity, right? Limitation is what makes us be creative. So if I take away the quote unquote easy route of, okay, we like kiss, kiss, maybe a little bit of oral, penetrative sex, orgasm, the end, and take away the easy option, give yourself the challenge of creativity and um, exploration That is not only going to be really fun in and of itself, but the things that you learn from those experiments will also enrich the other parts of your sex life, right? Mm -hmm. Penetrative sex is more fun when you know all the things that turn you on and get you into sex that you can then incorporate also into the penetrative sex that you're having. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Challenge November. I love that. I think that (laughs) would be, that's such a perfect thing to like kick off with your month is just challenging how much pleasure you can pack in and give yourself. And that would be a total fun game to play with a partner. Go, Regina. Um, Kiss me everywhere but on the mouth. (laughs) Yeah, and what a wonderful uh, opportunity to then learn, wow, I didn't know that part of my body was erogenous or I didn't know that you were so sensitive there. Things you would not have learned, right, if you were just relying on the same old regular. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it can be really cutesy too. Like if you're out and about and they give you like cheek kisses or forehead kisses or whatever, it's like not only do I feel attracted to you, I feel cozy next to you. And I, that's adorable. (laughs) And I will say when my partner and I try something new and then he comes around and he's like, Oh my God, that was so much fun. Like, I didn't know that I liked that. Nothing feels quite as good and like confidence boosting as that. It's like, yeah, you didn't know until you met me. (laughs) I gave you that. (laughs) Like that feels good. (laughs) Oh, that's yeah, so, it's so joyous to learn to learn about ourselves, to learn about our partners, and to feel like we're part of the process of our partners learning about themselves. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That makes me so ah, happy. Thank you so much. I just don't much. want this to end ever. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, pleasure is, is temporary by necessity, so you know, it has to end that's at some true. point. I gotta go be uncomfortable for a while. <laughs> Where can our listeners continue connecting with you and your work after this episode? Yeah. So um, my website's very easy to find. It's just my name.co, H-A-Y-L-I-N. I am technically on Instagram, but frankly, I don't want you to follow me there. I hate Instagram. I'm really trying to move more intentionally to long form things like my Substack, which is halen.substack.com. Um, you can also find me on my podcast, On Deck with Halen Belay, which is a very different from this interview podcast using the tarot cards as a tool for discussion. Um, and if you go to my website, halen.co, or specifically to um, my library, learning library, learn.halen.co, you'll be able to find all of my upcoming live events, self-paced programs, pre-recorded workshops, if you want to get deeper into any of the geeky stuff I was talking about today. Have we fared with our first episode of pussing ourselves out there? Hopefully, well. Hopefully, well. Halen's gentle, <laughs> very gentle, and it was lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to bring up something about me again. <laughs> All right, as you always do. Let's go. I <laughs> um, 
I loved the part when Halen brought up a knowing in your body when you're ready to have sex with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently had sex with someone who I had a great time. But if I were to say, was I ready? I don't know if that's true. Like I could have gone, I could have been done at any point. I was never like hoping it led to sex. Mm-hmm. I had a great time. It was amazing sex. But like, I didn't know when I was ready. So I took that practice that Halen mentioned and I like journaled about what I think it would feel like when I knew I was ready to have sex with someone. And so I really appreciated that advice. And I think it was a great um, like task to do for yourself. I love that. That's very sweet. It was very sweet. Anyway, that's just to say that Halen has amazing advice in this episode. So much like practical can put it to use single in a relationship. Um, so thank you so much, Halen, for being on the podcast today. And thank you to our listeners for hanging out first week of pussing yourself out there. Yes, thank you. You can head on over to Apple Podcasts to rate, review, and subscribe to Honey Do Me. You can leave us a written review. You can go on over to Spotify, rate us. You can go on to our YouTube to watch these episodes if that is how you like to consume your content. And to yeah. consume us. Consume. Um, don't consume us in that way. You can't have me. I'm not for sale. <laughs> I cannot be purchased. Well, I say that and then... To an extent. Sometimes. I could be. Yeah. Yeah. There's things that could buy me. Yeah. yeah. It is what it is. Anyway. anyway. And um, on that note, we will see you next week because we love you so much and we know you love us. So 